0: To source of uncertainty, I'm Robert Standifer, and I'm Kyle Swisher, and this is episode six. Fantastic episode today it was this one was really fun to do, really out of the ordinary, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
1: um, I've been looking forward to this one for a bit. I mean, I look forward to them all, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about this one. Um, yeah, what have you uh, been up to over the past month? Well,
0: other than Prepping this episode and doing episode seven at the same time, which was kind of a surreal experience. <laughs> I um I was in Helsinki, Finland last week, and there was I was at this conference called Slush for startups, hmm. and next to the um the booth that I was working at, there was this giant wall dis- wall video that was on loop, and. The music was this really crazy, moody, dark ambient thing that I droned that I heard five hundred times that day <laughs> and I, it was but it was really cool. it was like listened to it on loop mm-hmm. and I talked to one of the um the people working there by at the booth, and they made that here's the surprise they used the soft tube two ninety six e ah module. I know, I know. And some Arteria stuff in the Buchla Music Easel and the, Ar- the Arteria collection. And I thought, man, I thought, you know, I recognized some of those timbers. <laughs> yeah. After hearing it 500 times. Yeah. And while I was in the booth, um, these two guys came up. I was wearing a Burzum t-shirt. Burzum is a Norwegian black metal solo act. Oh, yeah. I saw you wearing that uh, yeah. a while ago was trying to get people to come to the, come hear me talk. <laughs> and um, so they talked to these two guys, a Swedish guy and a Finnish guy. And they were both extremely tall. And it <laughs> turns out they have both, they both worked in the music industry in Scandinavia and the Nordics producing and doing videos for black metal bands and, and famous ones like Mayhem and Bathory and, wow. and some others. And so when I was talking to them about my black metal, um, Bukla album that I've been working on that's really hard to make, by the way. We'll talk about that (laughs) later. Um, They were just, they were like, oh my gosh, you know, you should talk to this guy and this guy and this guy and all these names that are in Swedish and Finnish. (laughs) And I thought, is this how it, this must be how it works in the music industry. Did I just get discovered? (laughs) But that's not the case because I I don't have anything (laughs) to listen to. I've been struggling to make some traditional sounding timbres with my 200e like i need a string patch and i'm like i've got a bunch of sawtooth waves why doesn't this sound like an arp selena
1: <laughs> you know keep plugging away so, at it
0: yeah. yeah let's keep grinding on <laughs> it speaking of black metal Earlier in this uh, earlier in this month I think yeah in November you played at Modular Metalocalypse here in Seattle and that was a great show.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was pretty chaotic but um but yeah it was fun we uh me and uh, Bradley Millington who puts on um these events with Josh Lim, and yeah did or kind of was one of the masterminds behind Velocity um uh We've been talking for quite a while or a group of us of like, oh, we should, you know, do some sort of like super heavy uh you know, metal tinged uh uh music, but like as a group effort. And um and I I re- I got a two seventy seven uh uh multi tap delay module a month or two ago. And so I've been having a lot of fun with that and kind of really exploring it. And I came upon basically a full feedback patch, so I just kind of t- put three of the uh, the tapped outputs back into its own mixer and kind of crank them up, and I was getting this awesome feedback that kind of sounded like distorted guitar. And, um, and then I kind of would pitch it way down, uh, or you know, max out the delay time on it, and then I um, used the delay uh, time CV from i would plug the marf into that and actually would make um kind of notes out of it but every time it changes as a note it's like as if you whip the um the time knob around so you get that really kind of chaotic you know jitter um to where it then like slaps into the the next note um and uh so yeah i had this kind of fun patch based around that and then i just started i grabbed my les paul and tuned it down to drop a which was quite fun and uh um and started playing along with that and and you know just basically doing my best in, uh, uh, interpretation of uh sun riffs and um and yeah so i got bradley to come help out and kind of play the guitar and um and yeah kind of yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely not much i wouldn't call it playing guitar so much as Plucking the strings and and lots of noise
1: came. Yeah, out. yeah. It's very, uh, yeah, very yeah. sustained, uh, feedback, cool. uh, heavy. Yeah. It was all kind of, um, just. They put it behind his head. Yeah.
0: And the, so people who ha- didn't get to go see this, you and Bradley were wearing monk robes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And Bradley had that, um, that black death mask, I forgot what that thing's called. It looks like a bird. Oh yeah. The
1: um Yeah, you know. uh, a plague, like a plague doctor mask yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah, the and you see them and and they're really scary looking. And it kinda of reminded me a little bit of Eyes Wide Shut. So <laughs> you could have played that uh musica Ricercata number two by Legetti and that would have probably landed really well. <laughs> um but it was a really neat it was really neat to see that and you know the way you guys were performing and then the music with it and like that was that wasn't dark sparkler you know (laughs) something totally different for me which is really fun yeah that was but it's neat that you're using the 277 like an instrument in its own right
1: yeah it was kind of i mean that was the only sound source and it, it sounded massive enough and i used multiple i mean uh i think i used all four of its tapped outputs um into the low-pass gates and then into the mixer, and I had a couple channels um, on the end of the 207 that you can CV pan, and I had um, random voltages going into that um, or going into uh, two 281 envelopes that would randomly change every time I changed the notes, and so they would kind of fluctuate in and out. So yeah, it's just like a bunch of chaos, but really, um, I mean, it's you know, the thing is self oscillating, so it is an oscillator, but it's um it would just kind of drift on its own and it was very um very organic in a way. Um yeah, it was a it was it was fun. Um so yeah, I hope to do that again sometime. It was fun just kinda playing with somebody else too. Um with the uh yeah with the Buchla. Yeah it was it was
0: a good show. I'm looking forward to the the next one, um, there's, and I think January, or February, they're putting together an interesting show for Substation, and I'm gonna try to get, try to be part of that. I like the themed dep- the theme ones like Music meta- uh, Metalocalypse to celebrate winter,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it'd be fun to play something really in the in the depths of winter here in Seattle. But I heard that you won't be here. In late January, uh, early February, you'll be in another winter wonderland that's quite close to where I was just last week.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I uh, was fortunate enough to get my application accepted to go to uh, EMS in Stockholm. Uh, so I'll be yeah, in the towards the end of January, spending a week with that huge um, old Buchla system in there. That's gonna be so cool. Yeah, I'm uh, pinching myself uh, like. Can't quite believe I'm I'm getting to go do that because I don't know I've been I feel like that is a pretty iconic system I you know drool over photos of it all the time and I think I follow the Instagram I don't know if they or people that or um, I follow the hashtag of EMS I believe because people are always going and and posting their little snippets of what they're doing there and um, and it's yeah a lot of cool music has been created on that thing um so yeah looking forward to checking out some modules that um yeah i've never ever been able to use before
0: you might want to get one of those russian hats while you're there because i was in the know, one that finland last week like the
1: in fall and it was really cold the one that just like sits on top of your head that goes like way up or the one that actually cover your ears. Well,
0: the, I think the their flaps actually come down. Okay, but you know, you see like guys in Moscow wearing these things. You could also do the big puffy fur hat, like in Spies Like Us, mm-hmm. that Chevy Chase and Dan mm-hmm. <laughs> wore I, when they're.
1: Yeah, I might have one of those.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can just imagine wearing like. Red fox fur on your huge puffy thing on your hair because your you know your hair is all is pretty curly and it's kind of big,
1: so yeah. So I got I got you know I got got a bit of insulation up there already. So you know yeah. I mean yeah
0: you have a lot of you have thick curly
1: hair. I mean you got a lot going on up there.
0: You might not even need
1: a hat. <laughs> yeah, I can just you know twirl it into some uh, Princess Leia buns over my ears and I'll be I'll be set. I might. If you do that, I'll I'll definitely come out to Stockholm
0: <laughs> to to hear and see you play. You know the um, the EMS system is kind of like Edward Snowden. There are only one or two <laughs> pictures of it, so maybe you can <laughs> maybe you can take some some photos of the EMS system and enter it into the, enter them into the you know the the internet so that something more than just the two or three angles of it exist you know, maybe we can get some close-ups of those modules that would be really yeah. nice
1: yeah no i'll be documenting it well and um i think i might be uh speaking with somebody there while i'm there to kind of um you do a little interview and and uh um yeah kind of figure out what it takes to keep that thing going and and um i guess yeah any stories behind that that system
0: well, I'm sure everyone will join me in saying congratulations for being chosen to be a guest composer. That's yeah, quite a big deal. I'm really looking well, thank forward. Thank you.
1: To that. Yeah, I'll, um, I will tell you all about it for sure. Well, I, I might, I might go. I don't know. I just did that, <laughs> just like 24-hour. You, trip. You're gonna be like the Kool-Aid man, just like bust <laughs> <him>. <laughs> Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Take out half the system as you burst through the wall. <laughs>
0: Oh man. <laughs> nobody wants, nobody wants to drink my cola. <laughs> After last month's episode aired, Doug Clotter sent us a really nice email with some more tips and tricks for the 281E. He said, uh, regarding the ores, one very nice application is to use A and B triggered by the same pulse. Use a quick attack and decay on A and a slow attack and decay on B. Now by attenuating B using the OR. You get control over what amounts to envelopes sustain, so you can construct more elaborate envelopes this way. I mean, the guy is really good at yeah, this. Yeah,
1: I've. Uh, I think he's. I've heard a couple people talk about him being kind of a patch Jedi. So, yeah, we'll have amazing. him on here and soon. And yeah, get into that.
0: And he pointed out in quadrature mode, you can tie the CV out of B to the pulse in of C and let A auto trigger. This creates a four-channel quadrature LFO like the Schweiman PH4. He says, I've never really figured out how to use such a thing, maybe quad panning, but it's possible to do. You can then tie all the attack and decay CVs together and control all of them with the CV source like the 254E, which is the quad control voltage processor, to control the rate. Perhaps an evolving drone is another application. I, I love these emails from you, Doug. I, I hope you'll send one yeah. every episode. These are fantastic. I
1: might have to use that at uh, yeah. uh, EMS in their at uh, 227. Get that quad going.
0: I might call my next album perhaps an evolving drone as another application. <laughs> it's, uh, quite poetic. I'm for it. I, I, I love it. Thanks a lot, Doug. So, you know, in the first couple of episodes of this show that we have going here, we had that music spotlight segment. And it was really popular and really fun to do. And we discovered lots of great Bukla music. As time's gone by, we've discovered making the show that we've spent a lot of time on the featured module and the guests, so we don't really have the time to squeeze Music Spotlight in. But we do want to make sure that we point out some really great Bukla music. So we'll try to every month do that. So Kyle and I will listen to some really great Bukla music. please. Send some to us through the contact form on the website, and then we'll talk about those at the beginning of the show, which we'll do right now. So Kyle, you showed me so I knew who floating points was, but I didn't know he made a Buchla album, and then I saw the video where he's got a couple of smart cabs shout out to Keen Association, and um, he has an, an album out called Crush, and you you were really digging it
1: yeah, i was um I hadn't really known floating points um. Before this, and then a couple of um, couple of listeners had reached out me like, "Have you heard this yet?" And so, like right when it came out, so um, I was pretty blown away by it. Um, and and I I think it was like on maybe well, I'm gonna mess this up. Maybe it's like I forget if it's Future Music or Music Radar or something like that. Has had a couple videos um, of him in the studio, kind of showing the stuff he used on it. Um, and so, yeah, while well, he uses bucla all over the album, um the first track is actually pretty cool where he um I think the idea of it was he he has a kind of orchestral music that's um that he's using as a sound source, and then he's just processing it through his bukla system, um you know going through low pass gates and those are being you know um getting envelopes thrown at it, and I think he has a two ninety six e so it might be going through that and um yeah, just kinda pretty interesting stuff. And um and, yeah, the, and he's touring the videos really he's cool. like touring playing shows with the full um like thirty-two step MARF uh setup, which yeah. like I'm just like mm, Chef's Kiss, like hell yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so um so yeah, and all these uh so um uh, you can find this new album Crush uh basically anywhere, but it is on Bandcamp. I just want to kinda shout out Bandcamp. Um, so yeah, you can just search floating points there and find that um And then another guy that we know, uh Todd Barton, um put out the album Spaces earlier this month, and that's kind of on a a mixed uh let's see he's, got, he's using the music easel two hundred es hordike system um and it's a four track uh album and uh the first track is is kind of (laughs) classic todd very sprawling and and um just you know you're taking the the like 15 minute long journey with them yeah calls it follow the sound. yeah Uh, exactly Yeah. yeah which is what he does so well and um and then it he gets into um these tracks that he's calling particles um and um and it's kind of I don't know i feel like it's like an exploration in uh in pops <laughs> in a way it's very effervescent um and yeah it's pretty cool i like the um the three different sections of of that it's kind of um kind of a deep dive in in that kind of clicky um effervescent world of bukla. todd's funny because um
0: he he's like klaus Schulze. he's got you know what, fifty-five albums or something. <laughs> you could. There's somewhere between twenty and two hundred. Um, somewhere in there, and I'd buy and I'd believe that it was as low as twenty-one and as high as one hundred and ninety-nine. <laughs> he's just got a ton of ton of work out there, but every album that he's done is so different. Yeah. Yet at the same time, there's this kind of common thread with with him because each one is so him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, I really like that about about that and that Hordyke system. I've seen pictures of it, and I think he did a YouTube video with it a while back. And it's really cool, and it's it's neat to hear the different instruments. You know, my when I played my, my first album, it was all Buchla 200E. I didn't have anything else in there. And so now I'm listening to this, I'm starting to see how or hear how other, other completely different sounds from other totally different approaches to synthesizer design can kind of work together. Um, And this is a good example of that. And speaking of Todd Barton, there's a really cool jam album that he did with Nathan Moody and Bruce Baird. That was when Nathan was coming up for Velocity. He was driving up from San Francisco and stopped in with Todd and they recorded this jam, jam album. And they used the Puka Music easel. I think that was Todd's easel, a Seattle Lombard, and a Blip Boo Box.
1: Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I Todd was on the blip boo box. Um Bruce was on the music easel and then yeah, that's right. And then yeah, Nathan had all his uh Seattle Lombard stuff for for the velocity show. And um does the blip Boo box have banana jacks cuz if not we should cut this from the show. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a really neat device. It's weird. Yeah. Um and the Seattle Lombard is it's funny when out of those three the music easel is the
1: most normal right (laughs) so yeah it's that button down to music easel everybody knows um yeah it's it's really amazing i mean because i think what i think what he mentioned or i don't know if he mentioned to it on the show or when we were talking before or after um yeah it sounded like they kind of just had a couple sessions um when they're hanging out one night over at, at todd's place and it all I mean yeah when you listen to it it's like turned out really well it's like they I'm amazed how I think Bruce and Todd um uh they jam together pretty frequently um and so you know they might have kind of a you know call response listening rhythm that they have down but for Nathan to jump in and in, in there um you definitely listen through this like nobody's stepping on each other's toes or anything like that it they you definitely are are moving as a unit which um which was yeah, pretty cool to think about it, them okay. just doing that in, in one evening.
0: That album is called Start From Silence, by the way, if you want to go look at it. Yeah, up. and
1: you can find that under Nathan's uh, Bandcamp. So if you search Nathan Moody, yeah. you'll find that there, um, where Todd's is on his Bandcamp. So if you ter- search Todd Barton, you'll find Spaces there. And no
0: self-respecting bukla podcast could exist without mentioning that crazy Shasta cults album that has the 700 and the touche controller I and mean, well yeah set
1: wild. of uh, three um three albums that he's put out or it's a um the first one is configurations that came out a, a couple months ago and then followed up by the yeah. ep And the i think configurations was on the 700 um i'm not sure exactly if he used something specific for the ep and then his self-title i think it's the self-titled one um is he's using the uh, touche on? I think that was the most recent one that uh, that he put out. So yeah, I listened to the one with the seven hundred. It was really
0: wild. I mean, it's just you know, I don't know if I've ever heard a bukla seven hundred before but because and nobody's even put it in the liner <laughs> notes or something. But in this case, I knew it coming in, and it was it was fascinating to hear. He has a booklet three hundred also, right? Uh, I've seen pictures of it on his Instagram. Yeah, I think
1: uh, I think he probably has it all. Really, (laughs) Um, but so maybe he'll have a booklet three hundred. Yeah, album at some point. Yeah, Um, that could be the loan it to us. (laughs) Loan it
0: to us, and we'll we'll do an entire
1: episode about the three the three hundred. Yeah, so yeah, it's very cool to um, highly recommend checking those out. Just yeah, the timbers from all those digital oscillators go in, it's it's pretty uh, pretty impressive.
0: Well, speaking of impressive and rare and cool modules, we have something very special today. Uh, We're talking to Mark Milanovic and Chip Flynn about their project, Modular Electronic Musical Systems, and the modules they've recreated, the 123 sequential voltage source and the 132 waveform synthesizer. And this is really... This is like the Kyle episode because he's been talking about this <laughs> for months. Yeah. So excited, and it's so funny because I could never keep their twenty three and one thirty two, and I kept getting them switched in my mind. And then another funny thing I'll point out is that they loaned us two of the one thirty twos, and Kyle gave me gave them to me in a, in this bag, and I pulled out the one twenty three and one and a one thirty two and was playing with it. And then when Kyle came over to do the show, he's like, "Hey, there's another 132 in that bag." are <laughs> so, like, oh, there was. Like, oh, okay, hmm. wow. <laughs> you wow. just got so distracted okay, by, that's... yeah, by, yeah, yeah. That explains a lot. <laughs> but so that'll that'll be a great show. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah,
1: I've been uh, I've been talking with Mark for for quite a while, and um, and yeah, kind of slowly been getting info from him on this project that's been bubbling up and um and yeah their website uh just launched um it's got just some amazing stuff on there um and so yeah we'll have a link for that in the in the show notes but that's um uh, mems m-e-m-s project dot info for that um and it's gonna be a killer resource for for all the stuff that I guess you know we're trying to dig up and talk about um this is gonna be a a great website to to go to and check out yeah, so with that, let's uh check out these modules okay here, Robert and I sit before some really special modules and actually a set of them, two of them, that potentially have never been in a two-in-one case of this kind. Um, it's the waveform synthesizer model 132. Two of them. Two of them. Uh, and you know, Don Buchla never liked to refer to his, uh, his instruments as synthesizers. So, But interesting that he called this one the waveform synthesizer. But I guess that's just the process of what's going on with these things. It's a sea of black Davies knobs. Yeah, something we're, we're not used to. So we're out of our territory. So, um, yeah, we got these from uh, Mark and Chip at MEMS Project. And we're kind of just going to explore them. Uh, so from what I understand, uh, they're essentially um, sequencers running at a super fast rate. And there's 32 knobs on the panel and each knob represents a a partial to the waveform. So kind of like a step in a, in in this, within the sequencer. Um, So as you add, as you turn the knob to the right and add these partials, the waveform kind of, it changes. Um,
0: And each knob is individually numbered one to 32, 32. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that's it. there isn't like a, a range for the potentiometers of zero to 100 or, or anything like that. They're just just the number of the step yeah, uh,
1: which is pretty interesting and it's you know in 100 series form, there's not you know too much CB control. there's an FM input like on most things, um, a input for the to control voltage, the frequency, and there actually is a trigger out which is kind of interesting for an oscillator, but you kind of have to think of it too as a sequencer. So what I what I believe um, when I was talk, talking with Mark uh, is maybe there's a pulse that goes out on every 16 steps of this thing, but the cool. thing runs so fast. <laughs> it's blindingly fast. Uh, so I'm not really sure. Uh, we'll have to ask Mark and Chip kind of maybe what their idea is for using this high-speed trigger. Um, out of the 132, four, um, but it is—it's beautiful. is what it is, right? I'm, I was I mean...
0: sitting here staring at it. It's
1: uh, and we, and yeah, we've got two next to each other, so yeah. it's, it, it is really a sea of of black knobs. Well,
0: I, I just, I don't know. There's something very aesthetically, you know, we've seen this kind of layout in pictures of the system at Mills College, not just of the, of specifically the 132, but. Like the, the other sequencers and stuff, and and the 245 with these Davies knobs on it, but it just you can look at it and just think, holy moly, man! I can control everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no display, no buttons, just a switch, two CV <laughs> inputs, or one CV input, one trigger output. I mean, it's it's really simple for all the crazy things that it can do.
1: Yeah, so. Um we've uh for the video that we'll we'll have on patreon and then on youtube uh eventually we also have a is it the mordax data yeah um kind of to represent what's going on with the um all the different partials in the waveform thing is actually it's really useful to have this uh plugged into an oscilloscope just to because in the sea of 32 knobs as you're (laughs) you're turning you know you're you're hearing these subtle shifts and changes but um, it's also interesting to see it kind of correlated on the uh, on the oscilloscope because you can kind of, um, I mean, with practice, I guess you could kind of figure out, but you can make janky sine uh, sine waves or or um, uh, some kind of basic wave saucy. folding type sounds. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because it does. I mean, we'll we'll get to the sound quickly, but. Um, uh, but it kind of sounds digital because everything's broken up in these 32 partials. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're also, they're kind of just little pulses the way that it looks on the oscilloscope.
0: Like aliasing,
1: right? Yeah, of, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of very stepped. Um, you know, I'm sure if we ran this into a filter, that would kind of like smooth things out yep. a bit. But it sounds uh, oddly digital for a, you know, analog uh, module.
0: Yeah, when I was playing with this before the we recorded today, I was running it into my 291E, the triple morphing filter, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, with this you can make some really. And I was just using one of them because I didn't realize you had loaned me too. <laughs> um, but it's, there's some really great and complex harmonics. So and, you know, messing with the resonance in the in the triple morphing filter, mm-hmm. as you know, we're bringing I'm bringing these in and out. It was one of those really cool things where I couldn't do it twice, mm-hmm. you know, because I had stumbled upon it somehow and I didn't know what happened. So I wasn't able to do it again, but <laughs> it sounded really amazing.
1: Yeah. So let's uh, let's turn up
0: one of these. OK, we'll do number one.
1: So right now we have just uh, number one knob turned all the way up. So it's just one kind of pulse going. Um, obviously, there's a you know, frequency knob. Um, and it does kind of go down to clicks.
0: Wow, an, an LFO in Buchla?
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> um,
1: but I guess it could be useful. you know. With I guess at this rate, maybe the trigger knob goes, or sorry, the trigger output would maybe clock something yeah. in a little bit more usable frequency. So
0: no LFO then is what
1: you're... <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're just like, it's just kind of interesting. So we'll leave that number one up so we'll then turn up let's say, uh, knob number 13, slowly right now.
0: And, oh, so I can see on the data. Yep, there it is. I saw it up here on the data and then I started to hear it. So it's about... Turn that all the way back down again and I'll be quiet. There it is.
1: So yeah, kind of wiggling that back and forth. So subtle, but then that's only two knobs of this thing. So if we turn that... What's this one? 28. 28. that adds up quite a bit. Let's go back to 5, and I'll do 31, and then let's see like a bank. Let's do like 11, 12, or 13.
0: Oh wow, that's... I'm watching this on the oscilloscope, and so those... I, I see how those are those different individual kind of square waveforms have now come together and made this, you know, it looks like a stair step, uh, not a stair step, but it, it's not quite a square. And then up there, now it's a square. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, so you can so you can build your, you know, so we could have like, that's, you know, 10 through 13 kind of all the way up While we have these other partials scattered throughout. But you can kind of build your square waves like that, then we could maybe have the next four down, and then build another set of four to, uh…
0: So I'm doing that with, um, 26, 27, and
1: 28. Yeah, it's just interesting how some will make, I mean, as you kind of get them all going, really the more little fine tweaks, um, adds up much more depth to the sound.
0: So I'm turning number thirty-two, and listen to the harmonic difference. It's really cool. And so you're saying that behind the scenes, a really, really fast, like audio-rate sequencer is creating these partials.
1: Yeah, and we're acting. It's like we're just turning up steps. So if like we wow. had, so we had the Marf running like as fast as it could yeah. go, and we started inching up. Um, you know a few of the, the steps you know if we plugged into a, a oscilloscope it, we would kind of see right. roughly the same yeah well i
0: mean I, I run my my moog 960 sequencer at audio rate a lot but i don't have 32 of them mm-hmm. so this this is pretty wild uh, 32 of those would be huge by the way be like <laughs> my entire studio would be covered
1: in taking over system. the living room <laughs> Um, what's also interesting, uh, is if we turn, we start to turn everything up, which I'm doing, maybe I'll get some help from Robert as there's 32 of these things. Otherwise it'll
0: be an hour long, just knob turning.
1: It's gone because we've gone, um, what what is this uh what's this terminology? It's like we're kind of at that null point or whatever where the whole wave is kind of canceled itself. I think Nathan Moody would know. Yeah, hopefully Mark and Chip will. my idiocy. Well, neither one of us are engineers. And... <laughs> but um, but yeah, so now it's like as if uh, we yeah, it's like we have that wave so then you can start what's kind of nice is you can then start taking ones down and you have like the inverse so
0: that's just one knob number 25
1: now going down to
0: zero then i can't see that number there's one wow i mean that's really interesting you know we had them all turned up all the way and then we turned down three of them and we get this really neat sounding it sounds like multiple oscillators Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, in unison with slight detuning.
1: Yeah, so let's kind of bring this back down. And let's switch over. Let's get the second one. Uh, mixed together? Mixed together. Wow. So we actually have that. So we've already, we, a bunch of these knobs are kind of already tweaked on this one.
0: You know, if those were Rogans, I'd be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle and I have this. We're like the, the Bloods and the Crips, or the Sharks <laughs> and the Jets. Over knobs. Over knobs. Rogans and Davies. Um,
1: well, what are the what? Who's in the camp of the? Uh, are these Rogans, too, the 200D? Um, no, the 200D sel-
0: has Selkos.
1: Oh, Selkos. Yeah. Those yeah. guys. <laughs> Can't even.
0: <laughs> I tried to replace all my Eurorack knobs with Selkos, but... Then you got bored. But I got, <laughs> I got bored. Um... <laughs> We're gonna people, man. That's what every they're like. Forget the one thirty-two and the one twenty-three. They're gonna be like all
1: that Selco uh, the and, Selco
0: and Rogan and Davies, and then somebody else will say, "Well, there's also this other kind of not uh, CFM."
1: <laughs> um, what's also interesting is when we, because uh, obviously you can FM these. Let's do that. Um,
0: yeah, that's coming to the. That was our data connection. Yeah, okay. Cool. Sweet. So you're fming 132 on the the left side, 132, with the right side, 132. Yeah. Because we have two of these, and this is a good reason, by the way, to be a Patreon subscriber, if you can, because you can watch the YouTube video of this. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, which is perfectly fine, we post the video for everyone one month after the episode airs.
1: Yeah, so I've got all the knobs uh, now off on the uh, second 132 that's FMing the first one. Uh, So I'm just going to bring in, let's see, I'll up that a little bit. Um, I'm upping the amount on the frequency modulation knob. Um, It's probably about a third of the way up or so. And if I bring in one pulse, like I'll bring in just number one on the second 132. And then I'll bring in a second knob. So bring in a few. I'll change the tuning uh, on Turn up the starting to get gnarly so now we're about three quarters of the way up yeah so that was just one partial I just turned down there that kind of then tuned into this somewhat relative frequency, I turned that one up now we're out of that
0: yeah, let me crank up the audio on that for a quick second here now go ahead and turn that Wow. Oh, you hear that? That little bit of gurgling sound in there?
1: Yeah, it sounds very digital, you know, like
0: Yeah, I mean it sounds aliased. Yeah. Which makes sense.
1: I turn up a different knob.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's that stepping in there. and this so this is a 100 series module so from the 60s and we buy Eurorack modules today to do this kind of stuff which is sort of mind-blowing to me I mean that, in a good way this was way ahead of its time
1: yeah and obviously with I mean there's 32 partials you have there I think this being like an additive synthesis uh, type of technology um, a lot of uh, software in current day have blown this out to where you can have hundreds of partials that you're dealing with and uh, get much more complex sounds out of. Um, and there's a module that came out recently in the last couple years um, that was cool. Um, <laughs> just turned down one of the knobs on the just randomly. Modulator. He was like, yeah. I'm gonna reach for that knob. Oh,
0: look, cool harmonic, cool timbre.
1: Yeah, it is pretty wild, too. That's what Chip and Mark kept on telling me. He's like, FM each other. It's really...
0: Yeah, there is a EuroREC module, right? That this...
1: It has, like, 500 and some odd... um... Was it the Panharmonium? We'll have to look into that. No, yeah. I I was talking with uh, Ben Wilson about it the other day. But, um... Pretty cool. But, I mean, this... You know, this thing was made in 1965, 66, or whatever. So... I don't know. It is pretty wild. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty amazing. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, if we maybe cut out this one and we'll turn off the FM and go down to just one of the left or right. Uh, we'll turn um. There we go. And you know, it is like as you kind of turn these things. I mean, you think 32 knobs, like it's going to be just drastic shifts, but in a way, it's not because you're controlling all these. It's oddly subtle yet complex yeah. at it, the same time.
0: It, it has the, if you've ever used a fixed filter bank mm. in 5U or EuroRack, you know, we were turning a bunch of knobs to change the harmonics in the filter bank. It, it has that same kind of mm-hmm. experience. You know, uh, my mind, like my preconceived notion tells me that as you turn those, I would expect pitch to change. Mm hmm. But um, it doesn't really, it, it yeah. doesn't because you're you're changing the interval on the harmonics, and so it it's changing the shape of the waveform, which might have a pitch variance. But you know, it it's um yes, yeah. that's really it's really cool.
1: What is interesting too, because I mean, in a way, Don didn't keep going with this idea. Um, I there's an interview that I read of his. I don't know one from like the '80s. I don't know if it's like keyboard. Yeah, it's a magazine, keyboard
0: magazine. Yeah,
1: um, where some he talked about um the technique of running a sequencer at high speed and and um you know using the steps or whatever to to kind of make a, a waveform and he just kind of was talking about how it didn't really work for him in a way like it the harmonics weren't um I don't know they didn't kind of poke out as much as like compared to maybe like a fixed filter bank or he had that the 148. Um yeah module, which is uh has like the ten different harmonics that that come out of that um and so he didn't run with this I think he you know arguably he made one or two of these before kind of abandoning it um but it's still really pretty interesting okay. Hey. I'm
0: excited about this part. I know I say that in every episode, but it, it's
1: true. We've been having, keep, the excitement level just keeps on shooting through the Yeah, roof I mean,
0: someday it. when we get to something like, I don't know, we're just talking about a banana cable. Yeah, you can be
1: like, screw this
0: part. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm like, so, but then again, you know, we, there are there are new banana cables coming out. So that's pretty, that's pretty exciting, too. <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm i really looking forward to this part of the show because this just kind of blew my mind.
1: Yeah, so we got a, um, another thing that... Uh, Chip and Mark sent us was the uh, sequential voltage source model one two three, um, which is an eight step sequencer, um, and it's I mean it's pretty and it's got three lanes of uh, of eight steps, um, so you can have three different outputs going, uh, and then individual pulses for each of the uh, uh, eight steps of their output, and then it can go down to two steps or up to to eight. Um, So with this, we just decided to, um, yeah, sequence both of the 132s that we have here and um, kind of make chords out of it. And so, yeah, we're just going to kind of get this thing running and then Robert and I will just jam on the knobs. He'll take over one (laughs) 132 and I'll take over the other and we'll um, just kind of shift in knobs in and out and then maybe end up Kind of, they're also connected uh, by f- uh, frequency modulating each other. So maybe we'll we'll devolve into some nastiness with that too. Yeah.
0: So right right before we jump into the sound, let me just describe for people what this module looks like. Yeah, um, it's two panel spaces or two U, and it kind of reminds me of the. Um, well, it, it's hard to say. So it has for each uh, knob, each column of knobs, it has. A nice incandescent red lamp. Um, which, yeah, these look really nice. The increments so t- to set the number of steps is a big old
1: chunky notched Davies knob. What's amazing too on the uh, on that portion of the number of uh, uh, number of increments is what it says. It starts at a two, so it has number two notched, and then it delineates number seven. Right, but it doesn't go out. It doesn't say two and eight, but it goes up to eight. So there's another dot above. <laughs> Yeah. Seven, so That's
0: because of the just, number of increments, text on it would impede that eight. uh yeah,
1: yeah, I guess so. I'm just thinking like, <laughs> oh, Don's always trying to, you know, it's like let's let's give him a five-step sequencer <laughs> yeah. on in the uh...
0: two to seven. Two is the first prime, and then and then it goes to seven, which is not the sec not the second prime, but still, you know, very Don. It has six black CV inputs at the top. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, those are outputs.
1: Yeah. So uh, see, that's what
0: I'm so 200, right? Like black means <laughs> input, those are outputs and then eight red pulse outputs.
1: Yeah. And so interesting that I mean he did there was a point where you, I mean you'll see a lot of the dual outputs on a lot of the early modules um which you know in my mind think it's like well it's banana, you only need one, you can just keep on stacking off of those but yeah. um, for whatever reason maybe i guess to not make as big of a banana <laughs> tree <laughs> stacks uh, that he had too. But then I you know, kind of got away from that in the later series of the, or later era of the 200 series. So
0: there are six outputs, partially, I think, because of panel space. It didn't have eight. But how do the individual outputs correspond to the not the lanes and the columns? Do you...
1: um, it doesn't, yeah, that's right. So up at the top, it says um, A, B, and C. Um, In between two of each of these, and um, but the rows, I'm guessing you know it's for each row. You have two outputs per each row. Yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't. um, I guess maybe on this panel, yeah, yeah, it doesn't delineate rows A, B, and C. I guess we're just putting it together. Yeah, it doesn't
0: say A, B, and C, but top
1: to bottom. Yeah, that might make sense. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I, I really like the way this looks. All right, enough talking about UX. Let's hear this Yeah, thing.
1: so we'll start out with each, uh, turn that pulse one, and then we'll just, uh, we'll roll with it.
0: I'm matching his, Here we go. try I love that,
1: that chord sound. It just... Yeah, easy to set up with having all these knobs right in front of you and kind of tweaking sounds at the same time compared to maybe trying to do it on like the 250 line. Right. Or, um, yeah, kind of trying to...
0: It, it has this really neat, um, like, wavetable. Like, you're, we're working with a wavetable. So, so kind what
1: kind of we're
2: doing, yeah. Yeah.
0: Instead of so selecting sounds. a wavetable, from a wavetable, we're creating a wave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like we're creating our own tables that we can't store forever, but, yeah. Oh, 3 three-step sequence all the way here. Mm-hmm. This a classic five-step.
1: That's great. Yeah, we can also just show real quick, maybe the, uh... The trigger out of one of the 132s to trigger. <laughs>
2: so it's going at just
1: blindingly fast speeds. And then this is the lowest or the slowest speed, I guess, if we were to turn kind of the frequency knob all the way down.
0: Cool. Just so here. we're using the pulse out from the 132 synthesizer into the pulse input on the 123 sequential voltage source. And that's the slowest that it will send a pulse out. Yeah. Is it respective of the, of the shape of the knobs, or...? Oh, I, I see that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so the harmonics Whoa. are changing, but the speed of it isn't because of the frequency.
1: Yeah, this because is just because of the clicks, but if I were to go... some of this... Ooh,
2: you hear that?
1: To. Oh, nice.
0: oh, man, that's so neat. Nice.
1: madness should we yeah. talk to uh mark and chip about yeah this you know, and all the cool stuff now i have a doing? lot of great
3: questions for them <laughs>
1: <laughs> hi
3: i'm mark Milanovic. hi i'm chip flynn
1: yeah guys thanks for uh coming out and being on the show and uh i guess to start off uh, before we get into your uh mems project um can you kind of each go and tell us your personal history with uh getting into bucla
3: sure so it's it kind of was a slow burn for me um i originally got into um guitar pedals i'd say maybe uh 10 to 15 years ago and was just you know tinkering with that kind of stuff and i had originally started circuit bending you know i was maybe 14 or 15 years old and i pretty much had taken over my dad's workbench and kind of built from there and got a little bit more confident with electronics and started uh, doing my own stuff. And once we got into, once, once I saw the Euro rack stuff, I was like, Oh my God, I (laughs) I have to get into this. It was just, (laughs) it was over. You know, I used to have these giant pedal boards with a lot of pedals and I kind of made the transition into Euro rack very easily that way Mm -hmm. because you could just build this massive system and expound upon it. And, uh, I was very late to the game with Buchla. By the time I got into it, um, I was doing, I was building a lot of Romans, you know, Romans projects. Yeah. And at that point, electric music was kind of quiet. There wasn't as much activity on it. And um, I kind of was, I had to learn all the who's who of, you know, everybody, like who's Who's Mike Peak and who's, <laughs> yeah. who's Chip Flan? Yeah, the lay of the land
1: for, uh, between that and Mutt Wiggler and yeah, who's regular. Yeah. On right. So, was this like 2017, 20... right. 2018?
3: It had to be around 2017, 18. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's probably a good point. Um, and it was kind of funny because I had no idea what I was doing at first. And the first thing I realized was wow, these circuits are a lot more complicated than just. Then a lot of the Eurorack stuff, there's a lot of troubleshooting and you know, a lot of knowledge you have to know about um, tweaking and biasing and all sorts of other things that you didn't have to do with Eurorack stuff. Mm-hmm. So it um, I got real confident with this stuff and started working on my own circuit boards. And I think the first thing I got my feet wet with was a VCS-3. I wanted to build my own VCS three. Mm. So I started doing my own boards for that. And, um, I was posting the progress on those boards and, um, Mike peak from muff Wiggler and electric music. He noticed what I was doing and he said, you know, Hey, have you talked to chip Flynn? And I'm like, no, I really, really don't know him. <laughs> And he goes, oh, it's ape technology. I go, oh, I've seen that name a million times. Like mm-hmm. every time I go on Muff Wiggler, you know, I'd see him in the DIY threads. So I started talking to Chip, and it's kind of like all over at that mm-hmm. point.
1: <laughs> so Chip, when did that's where this? <laughs> yeah, when did you get started then?
4: Me, I got started uh, with the, I guess the Buchla DIY stuff. Um, similar thing. Uh, started building the Roman stuff, then wanted to get deeper and. Got interested in the 100 and then ran into the Ebola tone stuff online and started to uh, build that. Taught myself how to um, etch the boards, which was a new thing that I originally tried. Uh, Did a very bad job of it when I was 12. So put that on hold and then just (laughs) figured out I got quite good at it and uh, built all that. And then, you know, was looking for more. And then taught myself how to uh, use circuit board layout stuff and started laying out more of the uh, circuits, the 140, 130, 180. Oh, we're supposed to use the names, aren't we? (laughs) I'm sorry. We tend to speak in numbers (laughs) uh, in our world. Um, the, The dual attack generator, the timing pulse generator, and the dual envelope generator. And then came the sequencer. I wanted to build the one, two, three uh, sequencer, eight-channel sequencer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just so happened at the time I was doing uh, um, an installation at the University of Michigan. I, I built a robotic Gamelin, and we were installing that. And in between the performances, my... Um, my uh, partner in my art group, Ape Technology, said, hey, what do you want to do? And I made a joke about wanting to see the Stearns Collection 100. And he goes, you know what? I might be able to hook that up. Mm. And he made some contacts. And um, I don't know, within a month, I was there working on the 100 and documenting that. And then I was like, holy smokes, I can build a real one, two, three. <laughs> so then came me trying to figure it out um, from an artist aspect. I was trying to figure out how can I copy the circuit board in order to get, you know, um, Photoshop art so that I, I was stuck in the world of using, uh, you know, the photographic process with the, uh, making my own circuit boards. And that was not going very well at all. Mm-hmm. And then, as luck would have it, uh, Mike Peak mm-hmm. introduced me to Mark, and here we are now.
1: So we, so we have to thank uh, Mark,
4: uh, or sorry, uh, Mike Peak, for all this. Then, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Big thanks some... goes out to, to Mike Peak and all he's done.
3: Yeah, Mike, um, he what he did with with um, some of the circuits in terms of bringing them to DIY has been absolutely huge. He, you know, the first. 100 series oscillator I built was his one five, one five eight. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And it got me looking at like synthesizers and Buchla in general, um, much differently than I had with Roman boards. It, it just was much more, I guess like magical is like a word for it. You know, it just very rudimentary personal as
4: well. It made it a yeah. bit more personal because you had to hand build it from the ground up. Mm. Right. And,
3: uh, it got you thinking completely from a different frame of mind, you know, as opposed to the 200s where they're loaded with options. Um, Limitations on the 100 gets you to, I think um, experiment a little bit more Mm -hmm. to try to get the same results. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what got us into the, the 100s.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. It has been, um, I I think Robert and I have been really focused. I mean, him definitely on the 200 e, and I've been, um you know, building up a little collection of clones over the past uh year or so and now kind of um having a little bit of experience with the one hundred series stuff, it is kind of it is eye opening um about how you how much you have to kind of change how you how you patch and how different the one hundred to two hundred series got. Um, which I'm sure you all you know all well about. Oh yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're tracing these things.
0: Yeah, we really really saw it in the red panel in that show a couple months ago and then playing with your modules yesterday even little things like the pulse inputs aren't orange
2: yeah (laughs)
0: yeah
4: little things (laughs) like that
0: the outputs are black it's it's funny you know i'm so used to patching just kind of uh, you know like it's its own language and the 100 series the panels look similar but they're just, they're just different enough to have this completely different paradigm. And then, of course, the sound is, is totally different, too.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, The one mistake that I always laugh about making is that uh, usually when people first start playing a 100 system, the first thing they forget to do is, um, if they want to control the oscillator's frequency, they always forget to flip, flip off the switch. external and, switch. Yeah. <laughs> and you still always yeah. want to play
4: with the knob, even when it's in slave mode.
2: Yeah. I mess yeah. with
4: the big knob, and I always want to go, okay, let me uh, Yeah, <laughs> jam it this way, and it doesn't work like that. Right. And it's a big source of uh, contention, too,
3: between both me and Chip, because we're constantly bringing up these design uh, issues, and we're saying, well, Chip will come to me and he'll go, well, you know, this would make more sense if we started building them with two switches, uh, and, or yeah. if if we did, have if we started them. doing this. I made
4: this. one for I made them for myself.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just ask Chip about the RCA jacks on the reverb. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. There's certain things that he won't. We're definitely he's he's a. I mean it, it makes a lot of sense that if we are making uh reengineered replicas that they really should be correct to the design, but there is and for the for the reverb on the one hundred, I definitely put RCA jacks on my PC boards to make it a little bit easier to wire and to, to move around the cabinet.
2: Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Um yeah. a lot of the stuff in the one hundred is, is hardwired in the back, even down to the the noise source going to the random voltage generator. There's actually just a wire that connects the two. That's and there's yeah. no way to like. It's, if you take it apart, it's a nightmare.
1: Gotcha. So you you have to have both modules in order for. It's interesting.
4: Work. The the one the one six five the original vol- uh, random voltage generator. If you don't hook it up to the noise source, it kind of turns into a wonky uh, sample and hold. Mm -hmm. kind of thing it tries locking on to something that's not there and and with that i actually the 165 i have in my cabinet i have a audio in so i can actually put say a sine wave into it and it actually does do a sample and hold and Hmm. it's actually kind of more interesting and i have seen that on other systems that i had an external audio in so mm, i decided that on mine that was uh there's definitely changes that have been made that i don't know if they are original or if people or uh-huh. users and professors over the years have added f- features to it another mm-hmm. one's the one eight five the um frequency shifter is there's a version mm-hmm. of that where all the the whole front of the panels all uh tiny jacks so that you can configure it yourself i guess
1: Oh. Uh, yeah, kind of um, And I
4: don't know if that was original, but that's a really interesting idea. So
1: see so kind of like patch it it's um what's that term that everybody uses in surge um like patch programmable? It's is that what It's patchable. I, yeah. I don't
4: know how Similar, well that yeah. would work because it's kind of there's definitely kind of a I would uh, I think a strict way that you'd have to patch that thing in order for it to work correctly. Mhm. But it's interesting. I don't know if I'm ever going to build one that way, but but maybe. <laughs> the
3: only thing I can think of with that is that the the frequency shifter has two um, phase shifter boards mm-hmm. um, with all the dome filters, and I think what they might be doing there is just utilizing the dome filters like the as phase shifters independently. So it could have just been. Somebody wanting to use it, they might. They might have even been uh, normaled
1: oh, switching be. jacks yes, or something yeah, like that. that. I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, met, uh, Justin from Metro Modular, he's making those kind of blue panel ones in Australia, um, and he has like a phase. Sh- it's either the phase shifter. Um, it must be the phase shifter that is like that. It just has it's all tiny jacks, and and the idea was kind of to make it pass programmable. So I wonder if it. Kind of yeah, similar to that. I guess to back up real quick, um, tell us in your words, like what what is the project, Mark? Well, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one.
3: So, <laughs> so the project kind of started. Um, I always say the project started out of frustration, and I think that's the most uh, accurate way to describe it because. Um, the big problem we we ran into, and the first thing that I noticed when I started getting my feet wet with Bukla is that the Bukla community is very I don't know how to how to put this, like very almost bipolar <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to the Whoa. point where there's so many people that are so supportive of it, but then you have the other extreme. Where um, you get a lot of people that try to hide the information, um, keep the information a secret, kind um, like an, old, an old guard, almost like lording over the yeah. information. Yeah, like the old guard. That's that's yeah. a perfect example. Gatekeeping. Gatekeeping. And yeah. um, when we went to Wesley and um, uh, Ron uh, Cuevila, he um, put it perfectly. And I'm sorry to Ron if I pronounced his name wrong because I really never learned how to say it, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, Ron said that, um, one of the, one of the books that he read when, uh, he was in school was a book called desert plants and that there's a lot of people out there that are considered desert plants where, um, they thrive and grow all on their own yet receive, they don't benefit any other plants around them or any other communities or, mm-hmm. you know, of the sort. And that's a perfect way to explain it because you get some people that have access to some of this extremely rare equipment and all you see are photographs of it. um, If any photographs of it. If any photographs, that's the thing. There's so many things that when Chip and I had started this, we wanted to learn about these modules. And there are some modules where we were like, I don't even think this exists. (laughs) And... And... Then we would find stuff and be like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe we found this. And it really just was all social engineering. Like, we just made as many connections as we could. We just cast out lines almost every day, like on a regular basis, just trying to gather information. And it was amazing that some of these some some people that we would reach out to, all you had to do is ask. And they would be like, oh, sure. You know, here you go. What's this for? And we really didn't know what we were doing with it at first. At first, and you're um, as-
1: and you're asking them to kind of like send photos of-
4: to take apart their priceless, uh, yeah, you know, jewel of a synthesizer right. part, and take it to bits, and then take yeah. pictures of the insides of it. Yeah, because what we found out when we first
3: started was that the schematic data that exists online is pretty much unreliable. Um, most of the CBS schematics, once um, Buchla was Bought out by CBS most of those schematics are have are full of errors i don't know if they are purposeful errors <laughs> we all know um i think they- <laughs> we all know that yeah they, they were definitely there was definitely a lot of tension i think between don and cbs mm-hmm. um from what i've read and especially learning about the 410 and the performance systems you know he there's a lot of stuff he dumped on them that was kind of like okay fine you want this here you go and have fun, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of mentality. So we really wanted to see the modules because the modules tell the truth and the schematics are basically full of red
1: herrings. Gotcha. And so um so okay, so you get the photos, um and then what what's the next process for you?
3: So um first thing uh well chip usually looks at the schematic, um, looks at the boards, um, and he'll trace the boards, um, at the same time I'm designing the board. So, um, it's amazing how efficient we become at this. At first it was, this would take days, weeks, we'd be firing <laughs> things back and forth, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, now we can pretty much churn out an entire layout in a day. Oh, wow! parts, numbers and everything. Um, few hours, you know, even like, we'll just, we're just so efficient at it. Um, but yeah, it was. I would uh, take the boards, take a photo of the board, and one thing that I'm really big on is um, process.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the one thing that that dif- you know that I differentiate myself from people that design today is I like to do things the way they used to do things, which <laughs> scares off a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But I'll hand trace the the traces on the board. I do that all by hand. And then I put it into the computer um, and then I retrace it. So it's a two-step tracing process into uh, a CAD software where I can actually design the board layout. And it's really funny because the CAD software that I'm using, it has no idea what I'm doing because (laughs) I'm making all these, (laughs) making all these errors. It's like, (laughs) Hey,
1: you know that nobody does it like this anymore. (laughs) Right. It's
3: really funny. (laughs) And Basically, I want to not only are we replicating the module, but we're also replicating the experience of the designers and the associates um, from the 60s. Yeah. And to do that, you kind of have to get yourself into that refer- frame of reference where everything you do is organic like that. Um, the computer ends up just being a uh, vehicle for that type of process. It's really just a translator that translates what I do to you know, Gerber board data that we can then order boards for. And um, it's, it's amazing how fast Chip and I will fire stuff off each other. I'll finish a layout. He'll find errors in literally a couple minutes, fire them back to me. I've corrected all of them. He's got the whole thing labeled and ready to go. Wow. All the power supply lines all labeled and everything. And we're like, okay, done. What's the next one?
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a shame actually. It's kind of a shame how fast it is now because it's, one of my favorite things in the world to do and now we've got it down to where yeah it's just boom done (laughs) no they're getting harder though because we're into the 70s now with the 200 stuff it's taking longer i have to say when we first started i didn't really expect
3: to get into 200 as quickly as we did um and it was funny because I was always trying to lean in that direction, and Chip had to like rein me in and I can say, "Wait a minute!" Yeah, <laughs>
4: to put the blinders on him and tell him, "No, nope. like stay on point. No, we're doing we're doing this in order here." And uh, even now, we're just in the early '70s in the 200 stuff. So, and he just wanted to jump forward to the future, and I'm like, "No, nope, we can't mess with the two uh, four eight yet." Like, no, nope, that's later. Oh, yeah. Down, that's down the line.
1: You're like we're in 1971 now.
4: Yeah, it's about we're about 1973 way. right now. Okay. Well, yep. you should be getting close. Yeah, we're getting closer. Um, I mean, yeah, it's actually kind of crazy how far along we are into the 200 stuff.
1: Have so yeah. How I guess you know, like you said, um, and part of I don't know why we like doing the show is you know there's no great resource of like you know here's the entire timeline of. Bookla and its modules so just you know delineating when stuff came out have you been able like through retracing these boards and stuff kind of had um time stamps from everything to know in general when everything came out that's the
3: difficult part because without actually seeing the modules it's hard because a lot the only real way you can date certain modules is um usually by the date codes that are on the potentiometers. And that even is kind of a, a gray area because those sometimes were old stock or, yeah. um, you know, just they could have been replaced at one point.
4: And some of the, some of the boards, um, the finished modules, they're actually, when they were tuned, they have a handwritten date on them of when they were tuned. Oh. So the one, uh, the Stern system at U of M, was uh pretty much tuned and finished around november of 1969 okay and it's handwritten on there. it's handwritten on there with a pencil
1: <laughs> yeah
3: and it's- which yeah it, it's amazing how well they've held up in terms of pencil markings and uh like the solder joints like it's really funny when chip was sending me photos of the stern system you'd look at the back of the board with the solder joints and you'd see um, reflections of his friend, Lon taking pictures.
4: (laughs) It was was still that good looking. I mean, it looks like it was just soldered. It looks perfect. It's really, they really were made really nice. They were made beautifully. That's thanks. (laughs) Lead. I was just going to say like,
1: (laughs) I'm the lead. Um, did, uh, do you think, I mean, to your knowledge, um, has anything on that system broken down over the years? Oh my god! Yes. Now? Yeah,
4: <laughs> it's yeah. just gotten you know wear and tear, and it's gotten old and dried out. And it probably didn't help. Use it or lose it. It it probably didn't help that it was, I think, stored for so many years and just like basically a warehouse. I mean, yeah. uh, literally, if you don't if you don't use something, it's gonna get dried out, and the pot- the potentiometers got scratchy. And then it just needed to be cleaned and then the power supplies the capacitors dry out it's just time is hard on old electronics and you know it was a lot of just mm-hmm. just needed yeah. some love really is what it needed and you know it, it it came back for the most part there's still a couple broken modules that I have to it's going to be an ongoing you know project keep it going so you've been so you've been getting it back in working order then oh yeah 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 it it mostly works there's a couple oscillators that aren't working pretty sure it's the capacitors have dried out but then again it's it's not my machine so there's rules imposed that say it's there's some people that would like it to be in a museum setting i can't just go and willy-nilly take off transistors and and capacitors and replace Mm. everything like if it was mine because it's like mm-hmm. Antiques Roadshow, you're chav- changing the provenance of it. It's not original, then. Yeah. Some people's thinking yeah. it's like, it's- well, I think it should work. Well, some people think it should be exactly the way it was from 50 years ago. It's uh, kind of funny because it's, it's just like the classic car world.
0: Yep. You know, if you leave it sitting for a long time, the fuel lines crack and the gas turns into lacquer in the tank. Exactly. And, you know, you know like yeah, the
4: rubber all goes bad and yeah, yeah. And
0: all the yeah, just and you gotta run some control voltages through those through those <laughs> wires to make sure that they don't
4: And I tell you what, the more the the students it's set up so the students can use it at U of M now. People are doing compos- kids are doing compositions on it, and the more they use it, the more it, less scratchy it gets and the better it sounds. Yeah. Cool. So that's the good thing is that it's being used. Yeah. And it's being used for what it was intended for, which is making interesting creative sounds and music with yeah. it. Yeah.
1: I guess I'm always gonna err on that side of of things, other than yeah, being behind some plexiglass and I mean, yeah, they look great, yeah. but they sound better. So Yeah. Right. Um, how often are you getting dosed when you're working on on the on the backs of those, uh,
2: I'm not, I'm not gonna. I, uh,
4: I'm not gonna really talk about that. Yeah. But I don't think that acid lasts that long sitting on. I'm calling shenanigans, oh, but uh, yeah. but I don't think acid lasts sitting on a in the open air for 50 on a non-porous years on a non-porous, non-porous thing and not in a refrigerator. Because I'm pretty sure you're <laughs> supposed to store acid in the refrigerator But I'm not a chemist, so yeah. I don't know
3: yeah well it's it's what it is and that's and that's what's beautiful about the bukla world is the the lore and the stories yeah right the the mythos and everything it's it's really that's what brought me to bukla is this thing seemed like it was from another planet from another time Mm -hmm. you know it's just yeah yeah it's it's so strange yet uh also it it was happening at a time that was just as volatile as the You know, the music industry, like the the whole country was basically changing at that point.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And um, that's when education, I think, in terms of experimental music was blossoming and this machine was right alongside it. And I think that's why it seems so alien to us, because I think nowadays music is evolving and technology is evolving, but I don't think that there's anything really like the Buchla right now that's challenging people to think differently you know Mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny that i say that because now we're going back in time and (laughs) making stuff that's already been made (laughs) it's
0: it's interesting you say that too mark because i was talking to a friend of mine at berkeley college of music yeah um and and they have these all kinds of traditional music programs and we were talking about um incoming students who aren't guitar piano but are coming from electronic music and they're they they see the bukla as a legitimate electronic instrument, and people compose on it and apply it to the college, and have you know their own notation or even traditional notation, and submit auditions performing on their bukla music easels or their bukla 200e. Right. And I thought, man, you know, it's of course, but also that's pretty amazing that that's only happened in 50 years, considering the you know 450 years of of traditional fine arts music.
3: Right. Right. I always wonder, too, Like, and I, and I liken it to, can you imagine back in the day when everyone was using harpsichords and someone's <laughs> like, hey, look at this piano thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably the Don we do harp, We'll do a harpsichord podcast. Yeah, there
2: you go. <laughs> the white and black case. <laughs> um,
1: so, so you have this, um, so that system is at University of Michigan. Um, but obviously that doesn't have everything that um you guys are yeah hoping to to retrace and and recreate um where where else has this project kind of led you
3: to find uh, other systems we had to
1: do a lot of research
3: on where the the schools were that uh, had some of these systems and it it took a lot of recognition um in terms of locating pictures and photographs of existing systems and tying them to the schools that they belong to so at this point now like if you showed me a system i go oh that's evergreen college oh that's nyu oh, well, you know and it got to that point where um we just started sending feelers out to these schools and it's amazing uh how many schools i found which which i found very strange that the west coast was what much more guarded in the information than the east coast schools were um it's weird because it's like the, it's like, it's flipped. It's like, you think that the West coast would have a bunch of laid back, you know? Oh yeah, sure. Come on, come on down. Like, look at our Buchlas, you know? But no, it's more of like a, a guarded institution. And, um, hmm. in the, on the East coast, we've had nothing but pleasant conversations with, you know, Columbia. Uh, I've talked to, you know, um, columbia a few times and wesleyan which wesleyan was incredible i think one of the first stops we went that was the first uh, college that chip and i went to um to look at uh, david tudor's 113 and 120 which is the distributor and the the uh five the quintrophonic uh panner so Quint- it's made to <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah we're gonna have
1: <laughs> you guys got some good photos of, of, of that thing um and we'll <laughs> either have it up on our Instagram or maybe we can throw it up on that, uh, sweet new website that you made Robert. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Tell us about, it's, it's the <laughs> tell us about that thing. Cause it, it's, it's wild looking.
3: So the story goes that, um, John Cage had seen Don Buchla, um, Don Buchla had one of the first um in the area, he had one of the first Veractor based uh FM tuners. So it was like a vir- there there's a Veractor circuit which would basically control the stations with voltage control. Um so he does he basically had uh rigged up a I want to say it was a 114, but I could be wrong, the the touch controlled uh voltage source. Mm-hmm. And John Cage stumbled across across him uh playing the radio, basically. He would press the keys and change the stations. Which uh, blew his mind. If anyone knows anything about John Cage, you know changing the radio at random intervals is pretty much right up his (laughs) alley. (laughs) Yeah, I was just just thinking that. (laughs) So, John Cage immediately brought uh, Tudor, David Tudor, to um, to Don Buchla, and Tudor ordered um, originally um, ordered a system from Don Buchla, but for some reason or the other. He only ended up getting the 113, which is the quintrophonic panner. It's not the official name. That's just what it does. Um, and then the distri- distributor, which the distributor is just um, basically like a summing mixer, mm-hmm. um, which is very interesting because it's um, optical. It's, all, it's an optical VCA, basically, which we really haven't seen in um, any of the Bukla 100 series that we've looked at. Um, so the quintrophonic mixer is basically, um, a touch controlled mixer where that controls five, the sound location in five different speakers. So you have your standard quad, like your front and rear. Mm-hmm. And the fifth speaker is a down firing speaker that was installed over the performer. Oh. So you were technically in like a pseudo dome, almost like a geodesic dome of sound. And you could control the position of the four different sounds in this space and you needed the distributor as a as a mixer to distribute the sounds using and he utilized two 106 mixers to mix um all those channels down to work with this quintrophonic mixer
1: Okay,
3: so there was only one of these made Um, and we assume that david tudor just wanted asked don to build this for him because Yeah, that was the way Don was building stuff back then. I don't think, uh, I don't believe that Don really had a vision for a complete 100 series. He was just a problem solver. Mm -hmm. um, Where he would, a composer would come to him and say, "Hey, I want this to do this." Um, Case in point, Morton Subotnick, and Morton Subotnick was one of the reasons why the 100 series became what it was. It's because Mort would constantly be in contact with Don and say, "Hey, I need this module to do this," and Don would go, "Okay, here you go." And this leads to a lot of confusion because in the manuals he lists uh, he has a long list of 100 series modules, and these modules, some of them were um, only made once or twice, to my knowledge, and other ones like the 117, which is the proximity detector, um, it's basically like a theremin circuit that uh, detects proximity, player proximity with two antennas.
1: Wow.
3: Um, we haven't even seen that. So it doesn't exist. I mean, I, at this, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't exist. In a, <laughs> that's that's no chip uh,
4: That It doesn't exist. That never worked. I don't, I don't believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the
3: 117, um, if it does exist, I'm going to pretend I'm from Missouri and I'm going to say, show me.
2: Uh
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. If anybody has one out there in the world, we would love to see it because that is the one that I just don't believe ever existed. (laughs) I believe that he drew a schematic for it. I don't think anyone, there was never one made. I don't believe that's, that's my favorite
3: schematic because on the CBS schematic for that, or, um, there's a big note that says, what is this for, (laughs) ask Don <laughs> <laughs> and I could just picture some young kid like working at CBS going like, what the heck is this proximity detector? <laughs>
2: and
1: it's a bummer. We yeah. get to ask him now.
3: It right. It's a bummer. Yeah, it really is. Um, that's one of the biggest um, points of contention with a lot of, um, Don's work is with a lot of the people that uh, were close to Don. Um, That's all we have to go on is just hearsay at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of inklings as to how he was and how he felt about certain things based on scant interviews and documentation online. But we really don't know. And it's a shame. It's like, I wish we could just call him up and say, hey, Don, (laughs) Why in the world uh, do you have May changed to 200K on the 218 schematic? <laughs> <laughs> but we can't ask him that. So it's Chip and I's job to uh, get at this stuff and really work at it. And yeah. the the one position I always try to hold is full transparency is we're not here to change anybody's minds about certain modules. We're just here to say, hey, here's a 158. Here's a 158A. Here's a 158 uh A1, you know, like which one sounds better?
4: Well, I don't know. Yeah. We Here found five <laughs> different versions of the 158. Wow. There's there's five different Five. Yeah, there's five, five of them. Wow, so All wildly
3: different. Yeah, um, so
4: which one is the true sound of the 158? I don't know. Cool. Got to hear them all if I pick out my favorite. That's that, that been one be of my biggest questions. Yeah. Big question right yeah. there.
3: Is like when we're listening to silver apples on the moon or when we're listening to the wild bull, which modules are we hearing? Yeah. You know, which, which modules yeah, which are, version? which one, five, eight is making that sound. Is that the real sound of the bukla, or have we been conditioned to think that's the real sound of the bukla? Um, it's a very interesting standpoint and it really goes back to, it really goes hand in hand too with, my background with guitar pedals and stuff because people get really hung up on this mojo thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, well, this transistor, you know, it sounds the best versus this transistor. You don't want that pedal because it's got that transistor in it. And I set out to avoid that and just basically pre- present this stuff to people with full transparency. Like, here you go. Here's all the modules. This is all the information. Um, do with it as you will. You know, it's, it's, we're not going to start a club like here. We're the one, five, (laughs) eight, (laughs) a club. So there's a lot to be learned from it. And, uh, I think to bury that stuff is doing it a disservice because it really does give you the only insight into Don's creative process that we have. And when people say that Don was constantly moving forward, constantly, um, forward thinking that's absolutely true but i think when you're thinking and when you're when you're coming up with ideas as quickly as he did and compartmentalizing them and trying to get them out i think that um you don't have time to really look backwards and you don't have time to document and share with people what you've done so behind every i always i always say behind every innovative thinker you have to have a innovative and very forward thinking uh record keeper right? (laughs) or a backward backward looking record no for sure and
1: you know it's just like yeah there's no time to be precious over these babies (laughs) because it's like yeah gotta keep gotta keep moving forward and and then yeah no time to like well let's just really sit and ponder what i just did um i think most people you know i think most creatives are um you know not just Unless you're like Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine, you just kind of keep remastering the same album over and over. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're you're moving on, you're moving forward.
0: I, that is a crazy reference to make in a in a Bukla podcast. <laughs> Not really.
1: <laughs> you, you got some shoegaze fans, over here, so you know.
3: Yeah, there you go. Dirty <laughs> old guy. Yeah. yeah, Kevin. <laughs> I saw I saw a video with off topic. I saw a video of Kevin Shields and. Jay Massis playing on stage together, and I'm like, these two are these two guys are like my childhood. <laughs> they're they're like the old guard now, and they're all they're all old and gray now. At this yeah, point. they're like sitting <laughs> down like, in chairs, yeah. like these
2: like
1: park loungers, yeah. Or something while they're playing, <laughs> right, right,
0: <laughs> yeah. Dinosaur Junior is a is a huge part of my my senior year in high school, and my
4: girlfriend, and yeah. Let's just leave it at yeah. that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> World. Yeah. I saw him get booed off the stage In Detroit and bottles thrown at him
1: that, that sounds very Detroit
4: <laughs> yeah, Somebody That's Somebody had the great yeah. idea for him to warm up For Skinny Puppy and that wasn't a very good uh-huh. idea Not the right Not the right crowd I thought yeah. getting bottles thrown at you in Detroit was a good thing. I <laughs> <Yeah>. don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. part of the Detroit sound. <laughs> oh, good times.
1: So um, so are there any, like, do you have, I mean, except for that proximity detector, have you seen everything? Is there any white whales no. out there?
4: No, there's one more That's thing. a couple more things, actually. <laughs> but you go on, Mark. What's, yeah. Uh,
3: what- the 148, the um, harmonic uh, yeah. generator. If anybody has yeah. pictures of that, that for us, uh...
4: please, please, please send that so we can be done.
3: Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm going to say something that my dad always said to me, and it's like, you better show it to me, because if I find out from somebody else, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> 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 that was <laughs> that was uh, my childhood in a nutshell
4: so <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other thing in from the from the 100 we'll call it the era that i would like to see is there's the 300s from the 60s which was um more like a, a visual experience stuff so there was a ser light driver uh, that was the 311. There was a um, oh. a slide projector controller, yeah. a cross fader, and then a strobe. <laughs> I'd really like to have the strobe, yeah. wow. but those ones I would like to see. Because so the idea, I always wondered why the 140 timing generator went so slow. It goes the slowest one goes down to 20 seconds uh, between pulses. Mm-hmm. And i was wondering what the heck is that for musically and i think what it was for was controlling slide projectors yeah mm. so you could advance two different slide projectors and then you could pan with voltage control between the two of them <laughs> so check that out in like the mid 60s that would be insane you know yeah. wow
0: like slide projectors that you you look at vacation photos on yeah you know yeah. 50 years
4: ago you the the little kodak one slide at a time. And that's exactly what there's it was the Kodak A V nine hundred. Wow. Was a very specific one. And and that was the controlled two of them. <laughs> and then yeah, you'd advance through slide pictures and then crossfade with the voltage control. So the music would actually you could program the fading between the images. Which Man. holy smokes, is that forward thinking? Yeah. I'm blown away.
3: I yeah, I I try to um conceptualize that and think about if you were (laughs) i cannot imagine like being back in the 60s and going to a show and seeing that in action and going and like leaving there the same person you (laughs) went in (laughs) as (laughs) it's like that even that even today um there's something about analog technology like that in film and everything i mean when you see it it's so much different than a digital representation of it, and I think a lot of people are just so disconnected to that um and we'd love to recreate some of that stuff because it's just you know it's the old stuff starts to become new again, and mm-hmm. I think yeah. it comes you full know, if circle. you made
0: the digital if you made the slide projector module and you'd sell one i'd I'd buy one from you and I'd go find a couple of slide projectors I'd make that work. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. yeah I'm sure you it, it's just such an it's such <laughs> an amazing concept and uh <laughs> and you could always tell that Don wanted to do video stuff um I was pouring through the Valsuka archive which they were a collective a video art collective for a long time um and they had constantly um done collaborations with Don Buchla either Buchla synthesizers as accompaniment to video But um, in a lot of interviews, um, Don has hinted at video synthesis and how he was, he claims to be one of the first people to get into it, which I wholeheartedly believe. Um, He was at the forefront of most anything he did. (laughs) But I feel like those modules, which I would even go as far to call like the pseudo 300 because I feel like he finished those and was like, wait a minute, I better save the 300 for when I have other modules. (laughs) For later down the road,
0: yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, he, he <laughs> yeah. did envision stuff that he knew he didn't have the technology to do. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. Right. And he was waiting for yeah. it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. That's what happened. I believe with the one, three, two, um, the limitations at the time, I think, um, he, he did what he could with the technology and aside from designing, something completely off the wall in terms of like an IC or something like that. He, he had to make do with what he had. And I think when he got the one, three, two, the waveform synthesizer completed, um, those limitations I think were too much for him. Um, and it's funny because now we're so conditioned on digital oscillators and how they sound and, you know, that specific module, you know, sounds very alien even today. You know, it's especially for a Bukla module. It's, yeah, it's we were when we did the
0: um, featured module segment, we were, you know, Kyle walked through this really great chord patch that he made. And I remarked that it kind of reminded me of a, like a wavetable synthesizer. You know, as you're yeah. cycling through wavetables, um, the immutable instruments, Braids, or the DAO in Bukla land, there's a wavetable um, algorithm in there and you can. Turn the knob and to go through the wave tables, and I thought, man, that's what this kind of sounds like. It's, it was just, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was crazy because it's starting to bring together these two different concepts because of the words that we use to describe them. But the result is very similar.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very strange to hear an oscillator that sounds like that, and then when you look at the time period that it came out, it's like a double yeah. take every time. It's like yeah. I can't believe this was mid '60s. And everything back then in terms of oscillators sounded like analog oscillators. Cause that's all they had. Um, I can't imagine hearing that back then going, Oh my God, this sounds terrible. <laughs> 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 and like, and now it's like, we're, you know, Hey, we've got the, we got the DX seven, you know, through, yeah. for decades we've had that. Um, Wavetable synthesizers in the eighties, um, you know, the Ensonique stuff that was off the wall. This yeah. is like right in line with that. This could have, this could have almost like run alongside of that stuff,
0: yeah. Um, and like the Rossum, the um, Emu Morpheus with its crazy three dimensional filters, yeah. You know this the create you know this requiring these computer controlled filters and things. But even now, and we're seeing that neurorec modules, and it feels like it's something brand new, even yeah, though it was you know thirty years ago.
3: Right. The only thing I can think of now that's similar to the. um to the one, three, two that's being made today is the, uh, the double deca. Um, mm. that's the closest thing. I think there's much more, there's much better resolution on the double deca, but even 32 steps, like it still gives you enough resolution to get close to what you're trying to achieve. Um, well, what's the double deck? I thought the double deca was less than 32. Oh, it's less than 32, but they've you know, they've definitely it's a digital, it's completely digital and they Oh I see, I see Okay. Yeah, they've sorted out all the the uh inconsistencies and in, like resolution. Um they probably do it parametrically where they can curve the steps in a sort in a in a way. Um you know, back then and it's funny because when we had the when we were showing Ron the uh the one three two at Wesley and he was like he pulls out the whiteboard and he's like starts drawing out circuits. And he's like, oh, well, you could do this. You could do that. You could do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm I'm basically uh, humoring him as long as possible. And Chip just interrupts and goes, okay, uh, you're talking to the wrong guy here because Mark doesn't want to change any of the original <laughs> circuits. <Yeah.
2: laughs> uh, yeah, we have to
4: keep it original. We can't. Stay, oh, Here's a way to make it like sound better. No, it's got to be right. like the original.
3: Well, I always say, I always said to Chip and anyone who was willing to listen, that I wanted the one three two that we did to sound just like you walked right into Mills, turned down the system, and then started patching the one three two. Even wow. if it didn't work properly, right. we wanted to replicate that act, that uh, behavior. So we just did it as a one to one replica, and it took a little tweaking to get it to run uh, smoothly. Good grief. Um, <laughs> yeah. that was this is this is my favorite story in in all this research we've done. This is my favorite story because. Um, Chip had put the 132 in his system as a placeholder, really, just to show people the 132. Because at this point, it was nothing other than a paperweight. We couldn't get it to run properly. And uh, he drove all the way to my house. Um, We had like a home base here before we went out to Connecticut. And I started looking at it and I go, wait a minute. I think we forgot one of the traces. So Chip's like, oh, well, let's just go fix it. Let's see if that works. And we went down into my basement and uh, to my workbench and we saw, I soldered it and we fired it up and the, the thing worked right, right off the bat. And we just basically sat there and just blew the roof off the house for like the next three hours,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> like listening to this thing. It was just incredible that like it took both of us working in one space finally, because we had, we had worked long distance this whole time. And we actually sat down and troubleshoot it, you know, troubleshoot the thing together. Um, that was pretty monumental.
1: That's pretty amazing.
3: So you
0: you made the one thirty two, you made two of them. Um, yeah. kind of as a is it an academic exercise, an experiment, a long held dream? I mean, you're not really you're not making these necessarily to build a business around selling one thirty twos. You know, you're right. you, it's an intellectual
3: pursuit yeah, this would be more of like an intellectual pursuit. we're We're mainly mainly trying to one one of the driving forces beti- behind replicating the modules <clears throat> has always been an academic um, has always had an academic background because we've realized like Chip was saying with the uh, CBS system that's at University of Michigan, uh, I don't know how many students you want pawing over circuit boards and opening them up and bending wires and looking at the stuff um, playing it's one thing, but actually opening them up and taking them apart, you know, that's not something that you want people doing repeatedly. So making replicas, you have working modules that you can actually look at and study and measure, you know, and it just, it's just so much easier to have this. So one of the things that Ron was talking about at Wesleyan was uh, starting workshops. And that's kind of the direction we've been sliding into is starting workshops to have the students, maybe even build and study the module themselves. It teaches them a lot about that time period what they had available at the time.
1: Very amazing. Um it, I guess it kind of, you know, other than reach- tracing them, what like what changes just have to be made component wise?
3: There's actually this is what's kind of surprising about this. Um there's not a lot of component changes that need to be made. Um Certain things like footprints, sometimes that's always an issue. Um, but it's on the 100 series, you're working with completely discrete circuits. All the transistors are all by themselves. None of them are special. Basically, they're just regular, you know, NPN, PNPs off the shelf. We're just using off the shelf, and they weren't selected for their properties, really. Um, you start seeing more of that in the 200s where they start being called out for certain hfes and gains and stuff like that and being matched which in the 100s there were very few components like that um there's a few things like in the um random the random source um, those use military um missile control relays oh wow
4: (laughs) 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 they still make them if you want to buy uh yeah buy one they're like 380 dollars <laughs> each <laughs> so yeah and that's what's great we about i am surplus <laughs> they, i think they still sell them like at mauser and they're 380 dollars each oh. right yeah y-
3: you can replace those with regular relays but uh, we we couldn't of course with our uh <laughs> with our mentality we had to have the cool looking missile control relays so we got all new old stock ones you can find them easily enough on ebay but um that's one of the only modules I can think of that has like really rare, once they started adding in like the heaters that would actually temperature stabilize the oscillators, like that, mm-hmm. those are the things that... Um, in
4: the 200 series, the...
3: Right. Also in the, uh, also in the 148 and the uh, the harmonic generator and the fifth and last version of the 158 oscillator um, uses one of those temperature compensated pairs. So, gotcha.
1: Have, have you made all the different versions of the web 5.8 yet?
3: No, not yet. Um, I've made two. The, yeah, Chip's made a couple. Gotcha. Um, some of them are more daunting than others, specifically um, the first one. The first one was uh, the one at Mills College. It's not tunable. There's no space on the uh, the circuit boards for any trimmers. Hmm. So everything had to be selected. Like if you wanted, you had to empirically find which resistors to put where based on the tuning. So that's a veritable nightmare based on tolerances now too, is when you have part tolerances that are tighter, the circuit might not operate the same way it did when you're using wider swinging part tolerances. So the first 158, um, Chip and I pretty much agreed, we probably won't build it. It's a mess. Um, it's a mess. I mean, do it, doing it, uh, we could do it, but it would just be like an, like an experiment at this point um, just to see mm-hmm. if it works. We have a lot of other stuff to
4: do before we get to that one. How about that?
3: Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much
4: <it. laughs> and, That's a yeah, day very project last project for sure. Yeah. yeah.
3: And that's similar to um, some of the oddball modules. Like the there was a prototype um, quad envelope detector, which just had a penciled-in panel. Um, I think Morton Sobotniks has got that. Um, mm-hmm. then there's the 150 frequency detector, which is all basically all that is, is it's just, um, it's just a Nixie tube, um, frequency counter. And, um, I want, he that. just basically, yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it, and it's hilarious. I've got a prototype, so
2: <laughs>
3: <working on> it. <laughs> I did it all old school TTL logic, which is, which was incredible. I mean, I could do it with a microprocessor, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> so, You're a glutton for
1: punishment. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, And it's funny when you look at the frequency counter, uh, Don's frequency counter, he basically hacked apart an HP frequency counter. And you could tell which HP model, model it is just by looking at the guts of it. And it literally is the deepest module Don Buchla ever made. <laughs> it's like two feet <laughs> deep. Two feet deep. It's, like- <laughs> it's bloody. And I cannot imagine how much noise that introduced, especially since the power supply is like 400 volts on a, uh, old HP frequency counter. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, it's, that'd be an interesting experiment. Um, there's also quite a few modules that are, um, very strange red herrings, especially in the prototype system. There's a picture going around the internet. It's the famous 100 series picture it's the front of the manual and story goes is that it's a mock-up of the system it's basically just like glued on knobs and you know which mm. uh, at this point I pretty much don't believe that because there's a lot of modules in that system specifically that have all sorts of different mounting screws in different locations it seems to me that if you were mocking something up you wouldn't be willy-nilly, just putting screws everywhere. Um, they definitely look like they're prototypes. Um, which brings me to one of the strangest discoveries. In the uh, prototype system, there were two modules, frequency to, uh, frequency shifter, which was the first frequency shifter that Don built. And next to that is the low-pass. It's a dual low-pass filter. Now, um, this is kind of strange because Don... Never really delved into low pass filters at this point. Um, it was either band pass or, you know. So, yeah. I was looking at um, in my search for more photos. We were looking at um, pictures of the Bukla box, the Ken Kesey's Bukla box that he had mounted in the in the bus, and the uh, National Music Center in Vancouver posted. A ton of high-resolution photos of this thing, which I had never seen before.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the first thing I noticed was on the back, that exact low-pass filter panel that was in the prototype system, was being used as a blank. So they had flipped it, and painted the front of it red, and that was uh, Ken Kesey's speaker distribution panel. Wow!
0: So I mean, that's that's amazing. I've always wondered that story. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, it's yeah. So it was definitely something that he had tried to build like a low-pass filter i mean he he definitely did it but the strangest thing about the low-pass filter that he built is that the knob labels are eerily similar to the moog
2: 904 Um, yeah
3: yeah so it's like this is where (laughs) (laughs) this is where um our theory has come up now this is just a theory so i don't want anyone going nuts yet, or I don't want mufflinger burned down
2: with <laughs> <But laughs> catches on that, fire. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> the theory is that, um, you know, you have Bob Moog and Don Buchla both creating things at the same time. Um, the theory is that Don wanted to check out Bob Moog's filter.
2: Mm.
3: Well, another, another factor is that, um, Uh, in terms of the frequency shifter, Harold Bode used to hang out in California all the time. He was actually um, part of the CE convention um, in that area. He talked to Serge. He talked to uh, Don Buchla. He did work with Bob Moog. Um, We think that we were theorizing that Don Buchla at one point had talked to uh, Harold Bode and tried to build his frequency shifter as a prototype and then also somehow got an idea from Harold Bode how to build the low-pass filter, which eventually became the Moog filter. Um, very interesting theory, and it's kind of a controversial theory because it basically flips the script on East Coast versus West Coast. You have, Bo- you have Don Buchla building a low-pass filter in a Moog style in 1965,
2: mm-hmm. which <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <That's- laughs> so very strange. But at least we know that that panel existed and it actually ended up in Ken Kesey's bus.
1: That's wild.
3: Gosh. I, mean, I mean, I
0: wish we had three hours for you to tell us more of these stories. It's crazy.
3: I saved all the best for that. I mean, we could yeah. go on
0: forever. He's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, John Cage came over and checked this out and then Ken Kesey wanted a panel. Wow. This must have been an amazing time to be alive and doing this stuff,
1: you know, just, yeah. yeah I mean, I think, it's just, you know, the community just was probably so small at that point. Right. And
3: Everybody was looking over each other's shoulders at that point. And, uh, even Bob Moog, he was, he did it cause he liked to, he just loved helping people. I mean, I think there was, I remember hearing a story from, uh, one of the texts, um, living near Buffalo. I think mean, there's so many, um, old Moog texts that live out here and, um, saying that like, Bob Moe kept getting his wrist slapped because he kept going to other companies and saying, hey, I got a phaser I designed for you. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, what are you doing? You're supposed to make money for us. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it was back then. Everybody was, you know, creating things at such a pace that you really couldn't, you know, you really, the intellectual property was looked at much differently back then than it is now.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like the open source model, you know, that- right. We'll create things and we just give it away because it's going to make things better for
2: everyone. Right.
3: I have a very controversial um, viewpoint about open um, about uh, intellectual property and and uh, it's actually very simple. I really just think that once you create something and it's absorbed by the hive mind, you know, everybody gets to gets to use it, view it, listen to it. I really don't think it belongs to you anymore. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but you know, I think once it enters the gestalt of, you know, creation and more art, um it's like sampling, you know, you you have a sample that's become famous, you know, can you fight it or do you just say, Well, someone's used my music to create more music? You know, it's kind of an interesting idea, but not that many people share the same sentiment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think it yeah, then just goes back to that creator and probably yeah you know what yeah it's all about i mean yeah i would
3: never you know that's why and that's why chip and i haven't done the whole oh hey let's make a ton of money let's pound out a bunch of boards like easy peasy Mm -hmm. and then we'll just sell them and here you go here's take our money and run Mm -hmm. it's not the it's not the angle that we're trying to to take it's like if we were interested in money yeah, we would have been Roman or we would have been, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, the journey that we're taking and this information that we're taking in is much more uh, rewarding in a sense. And the physical model, modules almost end up as like a secondary to the research. It's like, yeah, well, we built this, but that wasn't really the whole point. You know, we learned a lot about it, you know?
4: Yeah. But it's also so, nice to have the modules. Well, Exactly I mean <laughs> it is very rewarding to like to, to work so hard on say the 191 and turn it on and have it work and adjust it and then actually have one in my system. you know right. but I learned a lot and hopefully I can uh, uh, share what what I've learned and what Mark's learned on you know to the to the rest of the people out there. Yeah. And
1: that's why I've yeah. told Mark many times that you guys are doing the Lord's work because, you know, it's so hard either you, you know, or you're going to one of these universities that has these old things and you're able to, to try it out. But who knows where most of these modules were, are now. And those people aren't likely, right. um, creating music or anything or sharing their experiences with them. And so, um, you know like i mentioned before
4: and that's and that's the other thing too as we go on this adventure is it really is like archaeology it's where is the other one three two that existed where is the original um harmonic generator the whatever it was called the the original one four eight um yeah that giant monstrosity of knobs and switches yeah like what happened to that where is it somebody has it probably i don't think anybody threw it in the trash yeah we we've talked yeah and
3: we've talked about the the possibility too that it happens i mean you have universities that have this old stuff sometimes and especially in like the analog crash oh well what's this just throw in the garbage it really could or could be in somebody
4: in a basement of a uh, of a university or who knows or something who knows what happened to it yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there that we still don't know, so it's gonna be a ongoing adventure trying to find all this stuff.
1: Well, I'm along for the ride. Well, so cool. Nice. Um, so you guys have a, a website for the project?
3: Yep, yep. the website is memsproject.info. Um, Heavy on the info, <laughs> of course. <laughs>
2: And so
1: that's so the people that um you know have this original 148 can contact you there is is that the best way to to get oh absolutely
3: yeah we'll have (laughs) yeah we'll have an email um you know um, we've done we've we've done things for people in the past too that share information um we did get the 410 um module cluster which was a transitional module um when Don originally sold to CBS he gave them uh, schematics and a. Designed for the 410. Terrible, schematics. Um, <laughs> terrible <laughs> schematics. Which we think was kind of like a big yeah. middle finger. Oh, um,
4: it has to be. They're terrible.
3: <laughs> and, uh, and we got pictures of it. Uh, Chris Witten from Across the Pond. Um, he was, he's was he been absolutely amazing in terms of helping us. So thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, thank you, Chris. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not as technical, um, but he's... He's, it's amazing how he's taken the stuff apart. Like I, I even have asked him, like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want us to, te- to take, you know, to pay your tech to do this? Cause we'll, we'll do mm-hmm. that. And, you know, no, he was really, really, um,
4: we did send him a random voltage generator at one, six, five. So yeah, that's a good trade.
3: Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah, you get information for, you know, here you go. Here's a thank you. You know, that's, that's kind of what we do. That's amazing.
1: Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, we'll keep in touch because, uh, I mean, you know, we fumble through all of our episodes, and
4: <laughs> and exactly. uh, at, least, at least you do it. Yeah,
1: well, like, you know, yeah, we're just, we're we're passionate about it. It's very uncertain. Um, yeah, it's right in the name, you know. We're not burying in the lead. Uh, yeah, but you guys have already been a, a great resource for you know coming up against things. I'll I'll message Mark like, is this? Yeah what this is doing is this <laughs> so really appreciate the <laughs> uh the technical knowledge that that you guys have and and sharing and, yeah. uh, i feel like we've met we've met our bukla brethren on the east coast you
0: know yeah your, your your passion and knowledge your passion for knowledge about bukla is just fantastic i really enjoyed this conversation today
4: well thank you
3: oh well thank you yeah thanks for having us on
1: yeah, and uh, you know, once you get that uh 219 going, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll be the first to know, I promise. Yes, <laughs> I, want, I want the 217, right.
3: I want the 221, much to crit, much to uh Chip's uh dismay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Robert, which controller, which esoteric controller do you need?
0: Um, I want the Buchla 700. All right. <laughs>
1: Okay. I thought he was going to ask for the lightning or something.
2: He
1: wants the wind. He wants the wind. All right, guys. Well, uh, you guys have a, a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you.
0: I'd like to thank Mark and Chip for being on the show and letting us check out the 123 and 132. Their website just went live at memsproject.info. That's M-E-M-S project.info. There's some cool stuff on the side already, like information about the numbering system of the 100 series, and they have a high-resolution photo of the 410 module cluster. That's something you can't find anywhere else on the internet. Uh, They'll be regularly updating the website, and they'll eventually have audio demos of each module, too. So bookmark it and check back often. As always,
1: don't forget to visit waveformmagazine.com to get a free print magazine delivered in the mail.
0: I have a review of the Keen Association 282E in the most recent issue. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon
1: at patreon.com slash sourceofuncertainty. And you can find more out about our show uh, through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. Uh, there's also a contact section in there, and we'd love to hear from you.
0: As always, find us on Instagram at
1: sourceofuncertainty. And that's it. Until next month. See you then. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, don't forget to drive brine your turkey.